CHA, Chicago Housing Authority, along with its City of Chicago sister agencies, the Chicago Housing Authority plays a vital role in providing housing opportunities across Chicago. Through the provisions of public housing apartments and the management of housing choice vouchers, the CHA serves more than 63,000 low-income families and individuals while supporting healthy communities. CHA's investment in new housing for seniors, veterans, and families is transforming the lives of residents through better housing while helping to build stronger communities. This is today's description of the CHA from the website, thecha.org. A story I will share with you this Tuesday. You know, as a mom, nine years old to me is an important age. Why? You say, well, first of all, I just had a nine-year-old who's going to be going on 10 this year. And, well, it's the last age right before double digits, right before you have to teach your innocent little girl on how to become a strong little woman. It's the age as a mom you want to preserve. But what if you have no mom? Or what happens when you're an innocent little girl just dry, just trying to get to school one day? What if this is the story of Girl X? Tuesdays with Trisha, episode 17. It's CBD Store, located on 31801 Mission Trail in Lake Elsinore, California. You guys, this is Inland Empire's only premium CBD shop. You got the aches, you got the pains, you can't sleep, stop in, you will not be disappointed. They have CBD infused water that is yummy, I've personally tried, oils, tinctures, gummies, roll-ons, bath bombs, scrubs, lotions, and so much more. You guys have got to check it out for your one-stop CBD shop located in Lake Elsinore, California. Stop on in, tell them at Tuesdays with Trisha sent you, probably give you a nice high five because let's let's face it, I'm not that relevant yet. So make me relevant, stop and buy, support your local businesses. Welcome to Chicago, Illinois, once again this week. And welcome back, my murderous bitches. It's been a long time, and I'm sorry. 
I had some things personally to do, and I've also been working hard for you all, so welcome back. If you're first time tuning in, welcome to the coolest places on earth. Not the coolest places, because I'm only in one place in the current moment. Do, 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 do. So, I don't know why I have so much energy. It's probably because the Chateau Saint-Michel Riesling wine that I'm currently drinking at this moment for you all. <laughs> um, this was an intense episode. Whoa, person passing on by. Like I said, always got noise happening. But um, Chateau Saint-Michel Riesling, I buy this wine because it's one of the first ones I discovered when I was a young buck working in the bartending world of Hollyweird. And um, it was one of the wines we served at CPK, otherwise known as California Pizza Kitchen. Shout out. Dude, their chicken piccata is bomb. Well, actually, I don't, they don't have a chicken piccata. It's like it's like a chicken piccata, but they serve salmon with it, which is even bomber when you get it blackened because it's so good. Anyways, so I get this wine because I used to serve it to people and it was the only wine back then I could really muster down. Um, and it's the only wine currently now older that I can only muster down. So it's here for the party along with Coca-Cola and my chicharrones. I also have these random, like, vanilla wafer things that are super awesome. So, yeah. Anyways. So, we're back in Chicago this week. Um, I got a lot of stories about Chicago. Um, but this time in particular, we're going to talk about a specific place in Chicago. This place is called Caprini Green Housing Complex. Some of you, I think, may be familiar with a place like this as it's served as the backdrop to some very famous like movies over the year. I'm only going to name a couple. Um, my favorite being Candyman because I'm a huge horror film um, buff and Candyman's one of my favorites. And then also the movie Hardball, which I have to admit, I haven't seen, nor did I look up, so I don't know what it's about. Anyways, it's also Candyman has been featured in a Frank Miller comic. Um, so those of you who are comic fans may have noticed kind of a similar backdrop in one of the comics. And it's also been featured in a Conway, Con, Conway Kanye West music video and it's called Homecoming, which I've seen. If you've not seen, go watch it. Google it. Cool. Anyways. So, but Capri Green was actually constructed in 1942 by the CHA, which above, if you listen to, was the Chicago Housing Authority. So this was a public housing project that first consisted of Francis Caprini Row Homes. And then later on, they added William Green Homes, hence the name Caprini Green. 
It was boarded by West North Avenue on the north side, North Halstead Street on the west side, West Chicago Avenue on the south side, and North Larrabee Street on the east. For those of you who are my map buffs, that's a visual for you. And an aerial view of this would show you a big giant square in the middle of Chicago's north side of the city. And at its peak, Caprini Green was home to 15,000 people living in mid and high rise apartment buildings, totaling about 3,607 units. Although Caprini Green, I wish I could say it was the Beverly Hills area, it was not. Unfortunately, this was taken over by poverty and gang violence and crime and serious neglect from the CHA made this really deplorable living conditions for the residents of Caprini Green. And if you think about it or do any research on it, it actually becomes quite a staple for the United States and the problems that we face that are associated with our public housing systems. Today, according to Wikipedia, only a 586 original rows houses maintain and only 150 are occupied. Now I'm going to talk about the one time that somebody in my life, which I will not name by name, but did end up driving me through Caprini Green. And it was actually pretty fucking scary to be quite honest about it. Um, he told me to lock the windows and put my hood up um, because the color of my skin. And it just was super scary. And it's not somewhere that you want to find yourself roaming around at any time of the day. That's pretty crazy to say, especially in Chicago, because Chicago's definitely known to have some rough spots. A number of things I would say put Caprini Green on the map. But today's story is going to be... Most notable? I mean, I don't want to be bold and say maybe most notable, but definitely most horrific. But trust me when I say that you won't forget it. Our story takes place on January 9th, 1997. But I'm going to take you back to the evening of January 8th. Actually, where our subject, Girl X as we're going to call her, was having a sleepover with one of her childhood slash like school friends, 10-year-old Shavante Fluker. And that night, the girls had like decided to play school. And yes, for fun. And I totally have to vouch for something like this because if you knew me as like a young girl, you knew what I wanted to do was play school. I know my sister is probably listening to this and going, yep, mm -hmm. and I love to give pop quizzes. The shit was the best. I'd be like, pop quiz time. 
It was totally awesome. So it was also said that the girls stayed up late until about 1 a.m. And you know, for nine years old, it's a pretty big deal. And Shavante would actually recall this like years later, you know, a couple months later or years later. But anyways, she, the girls had a great time reminiscing. They were laughing. They were enjoying each other's company. So when they woke up in the morning, Girl X had decided that she needed to go upstairs to grab her backpack for school and give her old clothing from the evening to her grandmother. On her way out and in the sixth floor, she was greeted by another friend, actually, Shatanya Edwards, nine years old. But suddenly, actually, Girl X was standing there talking with her friend, and she noticed that her shoe was untied. So she decided to stop and tie it. But, of course, her friend decided to head on to school and had waved goodbye. And that was the last time that both of her friends recall seeing Girl X that day. Now, it wasn't unusual for Girl X to leave for school by herself. And even though crime and poverty were known in the area of Caprini Green at this time, it wasn't really of a concern. And this wasn't something that Girl X's grandmother was thinking about when she left for school at 8.30 a.m. that morning. Girl X was described by friends and family as like a goofy little girl with a super great sense of humor. She had an exuberant personality for a nine-year-old, which I can relate because of myself and also my exuberant nine-year-old, if you guys haven't got a chance. I don't even know if I've shared her on my Instagram but we do a lot of TikToks together, and she is the mini of me. So we're both pretty. Crazy. <laughs> it is said that Girl X liked to joke around a lot, and her, fr- her friends actually said that she liked gross things in life. So meaning that she liked sour cream and onion potato chips with ketchup on it. I don't find it far off because potato chips are a form of french fries. So pairing that with ketchup, I don't see that wrong. And she also liked, um, though, bologna sandwiches with syrup. I'm, (laughs) I don't, I'm, I'm not really sure if I agree with that one. But she was also super cute and she also mispronounced words. Oh, this is like strawberry she called it scarberry and she would pronounce school as stool (laughs) i remember my little brother sam when we were younger we used to say we want to go have ice cream and he used to say ice cream ice cream and we were like no sam it's ice cream ice cream and he'd be like ice cream ice cream we were like, no, it's ice cream. <laughs> it was so embarrassing, but it was awesome too. So 
obviously, you guys, I am describing this because it brings out the personality of a little nine-year-old. And in the end, it's seriously what makes this next part even harder to describe to you all. Shortly after Girl X's friend left the building on 1121 North Larrabee Street, a man hiding in the stairwell jumped out and grabbed Girl X. He had a knife and he held it to her throat and he dragged her to his apartment where he forced her in the bedroom and onto the bed and he raped her and then he choked her and then he tried to strangle her to death. She lay there unconscious and he started to write gang slurs all over her body. And if that wasn't enough, he tried to kill her even more by force-feeding roach spray into her mouth. After he was done, he threw her lifeless body onto the stairwell, where he left her for dead. Around 10.30 a.m. that morning, a worker of CHA named Tyree Miller found the girl lying face down with a rag partially around her neck, and the face was actually landing on the seventh stairwell. Tyree immediately panicked and went to the neighboring units and knocked on a few doors. Two women by the name of Sharon Thompson and Mary Johnson recognized a young little girl, and all three of them called 911. They took Girl X to Mary's apartment, where she was actually foaming at the mouth and was cold and rigid. She happened to make it to the hospital, and once there, the doctors were confronted by this horrific scene. And over the months, they worked hard. And despite it all, they found, despite all that they found with you guys' details that would make your stomach churn. So I will literally spare you the details. But they managed to save her life. The girl X was now blind, crippled, and a mute. The police investigation was launched immediately. Immediately, I mean like that day. With detectives working various apartments and interviewing in sections, as it's reported. They could, they honestly like couldn't seem to find the right person, nor any physical evidence to connect anyone. Um, but first, like and foremost, they knew that they were looking for her boots. Girl X was found without boots. So eventually, over some time, they found one of the boots in the incinerator room on the first floor and another in a nearby dumpster. But both were a dead end with no physical evidence. 
They found evidence of lunch items as from one's missing lunchbox. So I would believe at one point, I'm sure they thought that this had belonged to Girl X, but they didn't produce any physical evidence with those items as well. The clothes that she was wearing were also examined at the crime lab at the time, but producing no evidence towards another person, just stuff belonging to Girl X, meaning that there were blood stains and fecal matter, but nothing that tested outside of her. Markers that were drawn on her body were actually found outside of an elevator area, and those two were tested, and still no physical evidence. Altogether, 125 officers worked on the case, and eventually they ended up compiling a list of 37 names. The police Honestly, had no specific number as to which guy was number one. And honestly, with the gang slur written on the body, it posed the most threat. Was this gang related? So basically, needless to say, you guys, the cops had no idea what the fuck was going on at the moment either. So they just obviously, you know, had to go with what the little evan little evidence that they had and they started interviewing people. And among those people were Earl McGee. He was living in apartment 505 when police decided to approach him for an interview. Now, good old Earl was wrapped in a towel with boots on and in those boots he had like knives stuffed in they also found like pornographic material didn't say of what kind so I assume it wasn't of the pedophile kind so they just kind of decided to chalk up Earl good old Earl McGee from apartment 505 as just that (laughs) Now, they also interviewed James Alexander of Apartment 608, known as the Rapper Man. So he's mentioned in a couple of articles that I read, and based on the stuff that they found in his apartment, which this really doesn't need to go into much detail of, um, they ended up taking him down to the station and they interviewed him for some time of this. And this man was crazy enough to, I guess, try and swallow a piece of metal during, during his interview. So he had to be taken down to the hospital and this dumbass was eventually ruled out from it all. Along with some other people who happened to make the list were also the names of Carl Morgan, Torselli Johnson, and Leon Maddox. They were on police radar, get this you guys, for a crime earlier on, on on guess, guess fucking who. 
Yeah, girl ex's cousin. Like, hot damn people. Do you gotta not, do you got do you gotta be so intertwined? There you go. That's what happens. <sighs> Gross. Anyways, so it actually wasn't an until March of 1997 when a new intelligence team was assigned to the case and they were a team of five that was assembled and of that team was detective Fred Wheat and this officer eventually interviewed apartment 504 where he met Tina Stokes now, at the time of the attack, Tina had her boyfriend living with her at the time, and his name was Patrick Sykes. But, you know, Patrick was actually no longer living there anymore and couldn't be available for an interview, so Tina provided his new address. This was 3223 West Maple Avenue. So eventually, after a couple of encounters, the police came in contact with Patrick and took him down for some questioning. At first, Patrick, you know, seemed to know about what happened to Girl X, you know, hearing it there and maybe, just maybe one of those days, that day, maybe he saw something. But he also made police know that he did have epilepsy, which I do sympathize and know about because my son has epilepsy, so I'm well-versed, Patrick. And, you know, it is also said that Patrick had prior convictions of armed robbery and assault. So the police were like, they interviewed him for a little bit, and it was like, let's polygraph you. So they polygraphed him. And, you know, when you're polygraphed and you don't have the results back, you're kind of, you know, set free and to roam around. But then things changed for Patrick when the polygraph came back. And it showed that Patrick wasn't exactly telling the truth. Now, why in the world would Patrick, Tina's boyfriend from apartment 505, not be telling the truth? I mean, he moved out. He moved on. What does he have to do with this? (laughs) And I'm going to be devil's advocate for a second here and go with my awesome crime junkie girls, Britt and Ash, and remember that polygraphs are bunk and don't take one. I'll be the first to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now, if my kid goes missing and they tell me to take a polygraph, I'm going to say, fuck you. No, I'm going to totally come up as this neurotic fucking crazy mom because my child is missing. How would you expect me to be of any sort of fucking norm? Would you? Would you? Would you sit there and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Let me answer these questions all cool. No. 
fuck no. I'd be like, you're wasting my fucking time. Go find my fucking kid. Okay. So I'm going to be a neurotic fucking mess. All right. So that's why I think polygraphs are sometimes totally fucking crazy when you give them to parents that are put in a situation like that, you know, and then again, sometimes the parents are fucking guilty, but that's a whole nother story. But like I said, so why in the world, Patrick, are you coming up untruthful on this polygraph? Well, here we go. After much deliberation, I'll bore you with all of the details that I read in the affidavit that Patrick ended up pretty much confessing to it all. So Patrick said that, you know, obviously he grabbed her, he forced himself upon her, and then he wrote gang signs on her body to throw law enforcement off. And he even turned to like a friend to corroborate some sort of alibi, which wasn't really an alibi. It was just kind of said like what he did afterwards towards the day. So it made him seem like a normal person. Makes sense. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So Patrick Sykes, 25 years old, was eventually taken to trial of the attempted murder of Girl X. And he was obviously found guilty and he is now sentenced to 120 years in prison. But we're not here to talk about fucking Patrick. We're here to talk about Girl X who is actually still alive. And with her obvious now disabilities, this becomes very expensive for not only girl X, who is at this point a minor, um, but her family, like who is going to pay for all of this? You know, obviously Caprini Green is known for their poverty poverty ridden so it's obviously apparent that her family is not going to be able to support this and it's not only super sad but also super frustrating and this brings up the time old problem with project-based housings which we can talk about forever about and the problems that they have but this you know, this is not what you hope to live for when you move in. You know, it's like even I have been even faced with the possible, you know, having to live in Section 8. And it's fucking scary. You know, it's not fucking scary because of the people that you're worried, you know, worried about living by, which you shouldn't have to worry about, you know, but it's just scary to have to rely on somebody else, i.e. mean the government or government funding or whatever you have to report to it's it's awful it's scary it's nobody wants to live like that nobody nobody chooses you know or wants i don't i don't think you do i don't think people do maybe maybe you do and to each or the, their own but i know i don't i know that i've been in times where i've had to rely on the government and it's fucking scary you don't you don't know you don't know if you didn't turn in your paperwork for the month, if it's not going to get shut off or what's going to get shut off or if your children aren't going to eat. It's scary. And sometimes you don't have a choice. So, you know, 
this is, you know, and, and, and so if you do have to live in areas like that, if you do, if you do, and you make that sacrifice and you do want the best for yourself and the children, and sometimes you got to start from the bottom until you're here, whatever that song is, but you know, you also want to be protected. And this is what the CHA was there to implement. Poverty is one thing, but all of a sudden, does that not make somebody's life important? You know, the, you, those that are protecting you, which means the Chicago Housing Authority. And as much as I hate to say it, Chicago Police Department, yet again, so, you know, it's, it all works together, you know, and the defunding or whatever it may be, it's, it's a fucking issue and people need to address it. So anyways, this problem happens in Caprini Green and you wonder why, and you wonder why all of this just took so long or took a special team to finally investigate apartment 504. But I all want you to know that eventually the family did go to court somehow and eventually were awarded a $3 million lawsuit in 2002. And they had alleged that the CHA, you know, Chicago Housing Authority had you know, failed in its guard services and that they allowed the security to deteriorate, you know, which may be known because a nine-year-old girl was attacked in the morning time and nothing was to be done. There is a lot of stuff that has come from this story, actually, um, and there's a lot of stuff that Chicago and all of that still needs to really work on. I wanted to bring this story attention um, just because of everything that's going on now. And I want everyone to know that I do support everything that's going on. I don't really know how to say this in order for it to come across to people without offending anyone. But America is in a whole bunch of turmoil and the Chicago police are constantly at turmoil with the people that are in their city. I know Chicago to be one of the most beautiful places on earth and if I could afford it, I would live there. So I only wish best for the city and their improvement on things. It's good to know that Caprini Green doesn't really stand today because it ended up serving really no good for anyone. I do hope all of you took care and caution while listening to this episode. I apologized for a lot of my foul language that I decided to share with you probably helped with probably my foul language also was encouraged by the wine, not helped. I don't know. So anyways, I hope you all consider this episode and take your own look, take your own take on the story. Write me, talk, talk to me about it. Let me know your thoughts. 
Um, this story was again brought to you by one of my wonderful, amazing people in life um, that has touched my heart. He was my former roommate, Justin Young. Um, he currently lives in Chicago and knows most about this. So he brought this story to my attention and I only felt right to bring it all to you if you've never heard it. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode of Tuesdays with Trisha. I am sorry to have parted with you for such a long time, but I promise to be working hard. If you get a chance, give me a review on Apple. A five-star one would make me ever so wonderful. And don't worry, I notice all of you who are listening to me on Apple. So please, if you get a chance, stop by, give me that review. Love you more than anything. I'm going to continue to do this for myself and for everyone out there. And for our wonderful girl this evening. Girl X, Shantoya Curry. Until next time, see you next week on Tuesdays with Trisha. And don't forget to wash your hands, stay safe, and don't forget to listen to Tuesdays with Trisha. Don't forget to listen to Tuesdays with Trisha. Oh, thank you. Yay!